from the basement of the Bob and Tom Studios, it's that Josh Arnold podcast. Boy, I hit that every time, don't I? I never, uh, <laughs> I've gotten pretty good at that. You know, I th- maybe I've been good at that from the start. Hitting those uh, posts, is that what it's called, Jason? Yes, yeah. All right. It is that Josh Arnold podcast. My goodness. Look at you, huh? Looking good. Hope you're feeling well. Heck of a show this week. The first week of December. It's December 1st. Ah, winter. Uh, I don't think it's technically here, but it's here. My guest this week. Oh, my gosh. I love this person very much. It's you. We're going to talk with you and, uh, well, see how your Thanksgiving went. I hope it went terrifically. Mine did. It was very nice. I'm here uh, currently in the basement, and uh, I just saw a spider. Isn't it weird when you see a spider when it's cold out? You're like, what are you doing? What, what, like the last hanger on or whatever? It's like, all right. He was moving kind of slow, so it's either you know close to the end for uh, for it or it. Um, yeah, I don't know what. I, I kind of don't know. I think spiders maybe go underground or something for the winter. I don't know. Or if they all just die and then new spiders come up in the spring. That's, <laughs> that's something that I should probably uh, I should probably know. And I probably did learn at one point, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty convinced that they don't all die off and then new spiders. Uh, <laughs> it's all new spiders in the spring. I don't think that's the case. Anywho, uh, good Thanksgiving. I cooked uh, a lot. I, I made my first turkey, and it ended up, uh, uh, it turned out very good. Um, perhaps a little overcooked, and the reason I say that is, um, I uh, I think I cooked it the, well, I, I was told uh, 13 minutes per pound, and I had a 15-pound bird, and so I did the math, of course, on my calculator. I, there's no way I could do it in my head, and I... Uh, I cooked it for that amount of time, and when I checked the temperature at the end of that amount of time, they say you want your bird to be about 165. I was at like 200, so um, uh, that seemed much hotter than I <laughs> needed to be. But it wasn't dry, it wasn't dried out, and it uh, sure tasted good. And um, boy, it had a nice golden, crispy skin. I, I was really uh, happy with it. Uh, so I hope your turkey. If you had one, um, turned out good as well. And I've got to be honest, it's been leftovers palooza at my place. I I cooked a turkey and I made uh, stuffing and uh, mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes. And then I cheat, and those were all you know from scratch, as it were. And then I I cheated a little bit with uh, I made frozen peas. But I love frozen peas, and then uh, the gravy I got uh, in. I got jarred gravy. Um, but hey, you know, maybe next year I'll try making my own gravy. But it worked out very well this year, and uh, yes, a very nice Thanksgiving. And I've I've literally had thanks Thanksgiving leftovers. Um, oh boy, what are we on day six now? And I think my body's slowly shutting down. But I'll eat something different today. I'll. Uh, well, you know what? I've got my last leftovers. I think today. I could finish it all off. Well, not the turkey. Uh, there's there's too much of that. So, um, uh, but the sides I can finish off today and then uh, move on with my life. Uh, this week's sponsor. Oh boy, 
I'd really like to thank uh, thank this sponsor because uh, it's a special one to me, and I, I hope it is uh, to you too. Uh, this week's sponsor, a hot bowl of soup. Oh boy, especially now that the the weather is getting chilly. And um, and by the way, I'm not including chili uh, in this sponsorship. It's just soup. Um, why do you ask? Well, because I'll probably need uh, a sponsor <laughs> in future podcasts, and chili will be will be it. Uh, and this doesn't include stew either. Just soup. Oh, whether it be chicken noodle or uh, tomato or French onion. Uh, and you know what? I'm going to exclude chowders in this also. This is just a hot bowl of soup. You warm it up and uh, you sit at your table and you, maybe you watch some snow falling. and you, uh, you you like to slurp your soup? You make noise? Go for it. You want crackers? Oh, my gosh. You can crumble. You can dip. You can do whatever. Maybe just even just a simple snap in half. That's... Uh, well, you know what I do? I mean, this is fat, but I uh, I crumble crackers into the soup, and then I uh, take other crackers and dip them into uh, the soup and sort of scoop up the crumbled crackers. <laughs> it's, uh, oh boy, anyway, thank you, uh, Hot Bowl of Soup, and why don't you enjoy a Hot Bowl of Soup sometime soon? Uh, this week's word is uh, perhaps more of a phrase but I think it's very fitting for this time of year. It, ha- it, it has to do with decorating for Christmas. And, uh, well, I see the train is here. We might as well hop on board and head on off to Vocabulary Station. Ah. Maybe we enjoy a bowl of soup on our way to Vocabulary Station. Huh? Actually, that's got to be uh, eating soup in any moving <laughs> vehicles. I guess a bit of a risky venture, but uh, hey. Here we are at Vocabulary Station, and this week's word slash phrase, it's a French term, finial d'arbre. Now, uh, or d'arbre, I apologize. I don't speak French. This is Just, just bear with me. Finial d'arbre um, is a noun, and it, it means an ornament that sits atop a Christmas tree. So, now, technically, a star doesn't really count as a finial dabra, but what I'm going to tell you is this: I think it, I think you can use it for anything that's going to sit atop your Christmas tree. Why? Because I think it's funny for you to go, "Honey, where's the finial dabra?" And, and then uh, dabra, and then when they go, "What the hell are you talking about?" You got the star, the, the the whatever we're putting on top of the tree, the angel, the um, uh, maybe it's a it's an actual finial dabra, which is. You've seen them. They look sort of pointy, and they've uh, a lot of times they have sort of ornate leaf type structure. And uh, you've certainly seen them on maybe fancier Christmas trees, fancier than mine. I've just got a a star that uh, lights up. But um, yes, use that word this week. Well, we're not done decorating until we put on the finial darba. Did I say it again? I said it wrong again. Finial dabra. Here, you know why this is throwing me off? Because the French spelled it with two R's. and So it's D apostrophe A-R-B-R-E, which just means tree or of the tree, essentially. So, well, we all arb, arbor day. That This all makes sense. But they don't pronounce that R that we would. They just pronounce the second one. So dabra. Ugh. The French... Uh, What's the old Steve Martin joke? It's like they have a different word for everything. Finial. And a finial is uh, a knob or some sort of any kind of uh, decorative structure that 
caps or ends something. So maybe the, at the top of a banister or a bedpost or the top of a lamp. There, you have finials all over the place. Finial Dabra, the tree topper. How about that? Use it and let me know how that goes. And uh, yeah, let me know if you're called a pretentious a-hole <laughs> when you when you do use it. Oh boy, it's been uh, it's been a pretty nice week. Uh, well, why don't I get right to uh, telling you about what I enjoyed this week? Well, look at that. There's a Christmas tree sporting a finial dabra uh, walking down the street right there. <laughs> this is my new thing. Whatever it is, I did it for, what, Halloween? I think I did it last week for the turkey. Any holiday, it's just going to be the main symbol of that holiday walking down the street. So, you know, a Christmas tree. You know, I could have a big, thick tree walking down the street. That's funny. <laughs> In case you didn't realize that it was meant to be funny, I'll just tell you. That's funny. The nice shiny finial dabra on top, and uh, oh yeah, looking well. He's he's walking quite um, proud, isn't he? He knows he's the symbol of uh, the next few weeks. How about that? What was the segment again? Ah, yes. What I enjoyed this week. This week it's a little different. I often talk about movies I like, or music, or uh, books. Well, this week, and it, it did kind of st- st- strike me as a surprise where I went, oh, you know what? I'm, I really enjoy this, and I think this could be what I, the, the, the what I enjoyed this week. I, I, I saw a lot of movies over the holiday weekend and um, really enjoyed them. What did I, I watched uh, Go West with the Marx Brothers, a, a Marx Brothers movie I hadn't seen and had quite frankly heard that it wasn't that strong. But I have to tell you, I laughed the whole time. I loved it. And um, I watched... Uh, well, a, ha- a handful of uh, of good movies, but what I and I listened to good music and I read, but the thing that I really enjoyed this week was a photograph, and it it reminds me that f- photographs they're so common, and we're taking pictures all the time with our phones and we're posting them on social media, but you really do kind of it's easy to take for granted the power of a picture photographs can tell i mean just one snapshot can tell quite a story and um you know it's when you look at pictures you should really take a little more time um with it really study it you know why why was it framed in that way and and what is it trying to evoke and um you know, like any good art, and photography certainly is art, it's just, uh, it, it can be really fascinating. And again, we we look at so many pictures all day, every day, and we take so many that it's easy It's easy to forget that it's, it's, it's quite a powerful medium. So anyway, uh, the photograph that I, I just couldn't stop looking at um, the other day, and I'm actually, I'm going to, uh, you know what? I'll post it on my uh, Instagram today as well, uh, in case you haven't seen it, or, or so, so that you can see it. It's a uh, a picture of two celebrities. Um, well, kind of at the height of their stardom, and two unlikely celebrities, uh, unlikely in that you, you you may not assume that they ever would have spent time together. Um. It's Dolly Parton and John Belushi, and they are sitting at a table, kind of a fancy table, 
with uh, some some you know nice looking silverware and glassware. And Dolly looks gorgeous. She's wearing a sort of a, a light sheer dress, and she's got you know her big blonde hair and uh, uh, you know a lot of jewelry, and her nails look great, and she's got this huge smile on her face, and her arms are wrapped around John Belushi, who's uh, looking much more casual with a uh, sort of a trucker's hat on. Um, it does appear to be he does appear to be wearing a, a suit coat, like a sport coat, but he may also have jeans. And uh, he's smiling and his eyes are closed and he's squeezing her back and uh, uh, in return is what I mean. And um, he they just they they both look like they are having a ball and that they are thoroughly enjoying each other's company. And I tried to do a little research on the picture. I guess it it was in the late seventies. Um. And uh, they were at, they had been at a concert or something. Oh, you know, I, I would imagine a lot of celebrities were at this concert. And then afterwards, there may have been some sort of gala or party. And they, and they but my gosh, these two people who uh, bring so much joy in different ways. And you know, there's also this sort of kind of a sly, um, naughty, nice dichotomy to this picture of well you know Dolly Parton can be quite sassy and self-deprecating and she has a wonderful sense of humor and uh but you don't assume that she's the rascal that John Belushi is you know she's she's sort of uh you look at her and she just seems sweet and sort of innocent even though again she can have you know she she's no stranger to the double entendre and uh <laughs> Uh, but Belushi obviously had his uh, demons and, um, you know, uh, a tragic story. But, and, and, you know, Dolly's still with us, of course, and, and John isn't. But, my gosh, they just seem to be so happy uh, visiting with each other. And uh, it's wonderful. It's just this picture really filled my heart. Um, yeah, it's really nice. So I'm going to post it on my Instagram. I mean, you could also just probably Google Dolly Parton, John Belushi, but uh, oh, it's it's a table you want to sit at, that's for sure. And uh, I have no doubts that John uh, was a gentleman and, uh, you know, probably teased Dolly in a playful way, but with with his classic charm. And uh, I'm sure she, she, in this picture, she looks uh, charmed as all get out. So they're, they're, they're having a ball. And my gosh, they were... They were both living uh, the life they wanted to live. John was doing comedy for a living. He had always wanted to. And uh, Dolly was her own. I mean, this was probably around the time where she was breaking out with uh, her solo career. And she wasn't with Port- Porter Wagner uh, kind of under his, uh, uh, well, strict guidance, if you know anything about that. But anyway, a terrific photo. And uh, yeah, give it a look. Either at uh, that Josh Arnold on, on Instagram or uh Google it. It just really, it really brought me a lot of joy, and I hope it brings you joy too. I spent the last uh, three podcasts giving you four podcasts. Yes, I spent the last four podcasts talking about um, a what did I call it? A brief history of of mine, and uh, it was based on one question, a terrific question by uh, a fellow named Dustin, and. In spending four podcasts on one question, I haven't gotten to 
many other questions that have been sent to me. So today I'm going to get to um, a good stack of them, and most of them, well, if not all, pertain to comedy. A lot of you are interested in stand-up and um, the morning show, uh, the Bob and Tom show and everything. And, um, you know, i I got to be honest, when I started this podcast, I assumed everybody um, had heard everything they want to know about stand-up comedy uh, because there are so many podcasts about it out there that I kind of thought, well, that's certainly well-worn territory. I don't need to um, talk much about it. It's uh, Everything I have to say about comedy has probably been said and probably been said uh, in a much better way <laughs> than I can say it. Uh, but I really appreciate your interest in my take on uh, being a stand-up and and sort of how I, I got started and everything like that. And so I'll go ahead and get to uh, some of these questions. The first one comes from Mitch, and he uh, would like to know who would you say influenced you to get into stand-up and who influenced your style? And that's a great question for uh, for any comedian because um, they – First off, I love talking to comedians about their favorite comedians because sometimes it can be very uh, surprising and unexpected. For instance, um, I, I, one of my favorite comedian sort of uh, facts is that uh, Don Rickles and Bob Newhart were best friends, just loved each other. And I have to think that one of the reasons – they were really drawn to each other is because of how different their comedic styles were. Don's being uh, brash and aggressive and uh, uh, <laughs> um, insulting, you know, and Bob's being very um, sort of self-inflicted. He was often the victim and very patient and slow and uh but both so incredibly clever and smart and and hilarious and I, you know that they just really respected what each other did because I, I guarantee they went well i could never do what he does and uh i love what he's doing i just couldn't do it i, I know a lot of my favorite comedians are guys who i could never do what they do for those of you who listen to the Bob and Tom show, you're very familiar with Greg Hahn, who's one of my favorite comedians to watch. And I could never do what he does because the energy is so high. Um, I'm just not that guy. I'm a very laid back uh, on stage. I'm uh, maybe uh, perhaps too laid back. <laughs> I uh, could probably use, uh, you know, a little more energy. Who, who's to say? But uh, yeah, so talking to comedians about who influenced them can always be well can, or can usually be pretty interesting my main influence well when i was a kid uh <laughs> my parents were good enough and maybe irresponsible enough to uh, let me watch benny hill uh whenever there was a benny hill special on the usa network or on pbs uh they would and i just adored it i couldn't believe how funny it was now Back then, I was obviously attracted to all of the slapstick and not really the wordplay that was going on. And I, you know, even at the age of uh, five or six or whatever, I'm sure there was something about. 
a woman running around in a bra that I found appealing. Um, I, I probably didn't realize how appealing I would later find it, but I. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I loved uh, Benny Hill, and I loved uh, a lot of the, the the guys who were in movies at the time. Uh, you know. Uh, Steve Martin and John Candy and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and that that class of of uh, comic actor um, and then stand up wise um, I loved uh, Stephen Wright and you know um, there was a uh, I would watch pretty much anything that my parents were watching but I liked the guys that I got you know what I mean I. Carlin, I didn't get as a kid, so he wasn't a favorite as a kid. And uh, guys like that. But I liked, um, oh boy, I mean, I, I got to give this guy credit because he has a joke that when I was a kid, I couldn't believe how funny it was. Um, now, if I were to go see him, I would, you know what? I bet I would really, I would really appreciate it. I would really think, uh, who, I'm talking about Yakov Smirnov. <laughs> And I just remember he had a joke when I was a kid. Um, he said, you know, in that thick Russian accent, that sort of gee whiz, uh, you know, fresh to America <laughs> attitude he had. Uh, he said he recently quit smoking cold turkey, and now he only smokes ham. And I'm telling you, eight-year-old Josh Arnold could, thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. He couldn't believe how good that was. Would I laugh at that today? Yes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but I would kind of laugh for a different reason. But uh, not laughing. I would still laugh with it. Don't get me wrong. But um, I think I would uh, laugh at it being at how silly it is as opposed to uh, back then how I couldn't believe how brilliant it was. <laughs> but my main when I finally when I finally decided, you know what, I'm going to give stand up a shot. It was, and I'm not talking about the stand-up I did in school, because I did a lot, you know, in grade school and junior high and high, and high school, but I, um, w- when I really decided, hey, I'm going to go to an open mic, I'm a, <laughs> when I decided in my adult life to uh, try to, to give stand-up a shot, it was all because of one comedian and one special that I watched, and I remember it was late at night, and I turned on HBO, and the special was about to start, and I go, oh, I've heard, I I had heard some of uh, this guy's stuff, and I liked it. Um, I'll, I, I'm gonna watch this special, and it, uh, yeah, it that, the rest is history. It was Robert Schimmel, and the special is unprotected, and you can still get it. And I I was just blown away. It's so funny, and so honest. Um, and what I loved, one of the things I've always loved, um, I like blue humor. I'll be honest. I like dirty jokes and I like, um, inappropriate humor. And, uh, the thing about Schimmel is, um, and Tom Griswold actually put it perfectly one day. He said, Robert Schimmel is the cleanest, dirty comic you'll ever see. And what he means and he's, he's exactly right, is nothing feels gratuitous. Uh, Schimmel's, uh, he will, he'll cuss, and he will talk very frankly about uh, sexual things, but it all feels real and honest, and he's not doing it to shock, unless he's doing it to shock. And what I mean by that is, 
sometimes he'll be inappropriate just to get you. You totally know he's just he's you know um, that that he he wants to make you laugh first. Uh, so he's not just being shocking for the sake of being. Sh- well, it's it's all right. I'm, it's hard to explain. He knows very well what he's doing. He's not just uh, he's not trying to shock out of laziness or just to get a response. He's he's thumbing his nose at, at the audience a little bit, going, "Hey, I'm going to shock you, and wasn't that kind of fun? And let's move on to the real stuff again." Like you know, so it's uh, it's it's really masterful, and. Uh, and the main thing is I just – I laughed and laughed a lot. And I got to see him before he passed away at a small bar called Mississippi Nights in St. Louis. And I got to talk to him a little bit afterwards. And uh, he signed I, he signed my copy of Unprotected. I bought the – I ordered the DVD and uh, it was great. And, I, you know, watching that I went, that's, that's what I want to try. And he certainly influenced my style. He certainly, when I first started, man, and you know what? I bet if I watched, it's been a while since I've watched like video of my most recent stand-up act. I bet I could see, I could probably go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing shimmel there, <laughs> or that's a face that he would have made, or whatever. Like, I bet it's still in there, even though I think I've come into my own. Well, I certainly have much more than I. I've got my own voice more than I did when I first started, but. Anyway, he absolutely influenced my stand-up style. And uh, also, um, Dennis Miller w- was a big influence. And uh, not so much, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he does a lot of political comedy, and I don't. So it wasn't so much like that, but it was um, uh, more in his, uh, his attitude of let the audience, don't talk down to the audience, let the audience come up to you, to your intelligence level, and um, and let them, and, you know, if they if they don't get a reference, that's fine. Um, they'll get the next one, that kind of thing. Don't uh, I, I? I always really, I always found that very respectful of of Dennis Miller. Uh, some people think it's kind of snotty. Um, I don't. I think it's the opposite. I think it's hey, I I'm giving my audience the. The benefit of the doubt that they they know what I'm talking about and that they can keep up. I, I think that's great. Um, so, yeah. And he he also uh, <laughs> there's just a, a technical thing. I don't I don't take the mic out of the mic stand. I just stand up there with a lot of times with my hands in my pockets. And I I think I got that from watching Miller. Um, another but another Miller who influences influenced my comedy was Larry Miller. Larry Miller to me is the king of uh, telling a story and well for instance there, he has a half hour special out there and in 30 minutes he does he does two bits. The first 15 is a bit about drinking and the second 15 is a bit about skiing and um, they're loaded with jokes there's not a word out of place but they're cohesive stories and uh that boy, that's a skill, and that's something that I—that's something I'm really trying to get better at, quite quite honestly. Um, and I, I should be watching more um, Larry Miller. He's also—I've mentioned this before. I think influenced this podcast uh, more than um, anyone might be comfortable with. <laughs> if you accused me of cribbing his uh, outline. Um, 
I would plead guilty. So, uh, good question, Mitch. Thank you. And um, John wrote in asking, could you discuss your technique for writing comedy? I've been watching Jerry Seinfeld's show, Comedians in Cars, getting coffee, and I realize there's so much more to comedy than just jokes. Yeah, I mean, that's astute of you. Uh, There are plenty of people out there that still think, um, and I hate to ruin this surprise, or I hate to ruin this, um, but you you might be surprised to to know that a lot of people think when they go to see a stand-up comedian that that person is going up on stage and just talking about what's in their head and that they've never said, they they think they've never said those things before. And, or, um... That's just not the case. You you are typically, unless you're at like some sort of open mic uh, night type thing, or in New York where guys are trying out new material, um, you know, in the middle of a showcase type type show, you are seeing very well thought out, well rehearsed, um, practiced material, and uh there's an art to that don't be disappointed when you if you go oh so let's say for instance if you were to go to a a comedy club on a friday night for the 8 p.m show and then watch the 10 30 show you might be shocked at how similar both are i mean i'm i'm certainly a comedian that I, I keep the same inflections on certain words, and I really do not change up my delivery at all. Now, I will um, – I'm pliable to the audience. You know, if the audience is responding a certain way to a certain type of material, I'll change things up, or I'll uh, – if an audience is a bit more relaxed, not, uh, you know, howling with laughter, but kind of – but they're still clearly enjoying themselves, I'll – my energy might uh, stay softer, Um Whereas if I'm in a, a sold-out show and the place is rowdy, uh, my energy will be uh, will match the audience a little bit more. That's just how I perform. A lot of performers do the opposite. Uh, they're they're terrific at um, they put out an energy that the audience then picks up. I tend to pick up my energy from the audience. So uh, it, you know, it just just different styles. Writing is a tough thing to talk about because I I don't write. My jokes in the same way. They uh, sometimes they'll come to me out of the blue. Sometimes um, I'll actually sit down and go, "Man, I was thinking about how funny, uh, whatever. <laughs> this is made up, but uh, fast food drive-throughs are, and what can I say about those?" And and I'll actually try to write out some jokes about that. My favorite type of writing is writing on stage, and that is uh, just kind of riffing. On it, so if I have uh, two or three jokes about, let's say, drive-throughs, I'll just start talking about them, and maybe I won't find a joke, uh, or maybe I'll find what ends up being the best joke in that bit about drive-throughs. I love writing on stage; it's a lot of fun, and that's an interesting thing about stand-up. It might be the only like uh, thing out there where, in order to get better, you have to fail publicly. You have to be bad in front of an audience. If you're a musician, you can practice your guitar and behind a closed door for hours and get better. If you're a comedian, you can't get better unless you're you're sucking in front of people. <laughs> it's a weird thing. You and it's a painful thing. You have to do bad in front of an audience in order to get better. You um now, you don't go up going, I, well, I've got to do bad tonight. No. Uh, 
you go up thinking you're going to do good. You think that the jokes that you have are really going to work and that they're funny and that they're uh, cl- they're uh, clear, they make sense, and that they're universal. And sometimes you find out uh, nobody knew what I was talking about, or if they did, they didn't think it was funny at all. It's it's a t- it's a weird thing. Every <laughs> I'd be hard pressed to think of anything else where you have to. Uh, fail publicly in order to get better you you could maybe argue uh sports but even you know yeah i i uh, it's tough to say but stand-up is absolutely that way um so my writing process is uh kind of all those things sometimes i sit down and write sometimes i just think uh, things will just come to me and then sometimes uh, i'll write while i'm actually on stage and that's that's a lot of fun all all of them are are Fun, but that's my. I think that's my new, my current favorite. DJ wants to know what I find more challenging: writing jokes to perform alone during stand-up, or writing jokes on the fly during the Bob and Tom show. Um, I, for me, more what what's more challenging: writing jokes for stand-up, um, because you have to hone them and you have to perfect them and you have to. I mean, they're always sort of growing and changing, but. They have to work, and you uh, they don't always work right off the bat. Now, <laughs> when you're writing jokes, when you're improvising jokes uh, during the Bob and Tom show, which is what I do, um, they don't always work. But when they don't work, you're on to the next thing in like 30 seconds. So uh, <laughs> you don't have to f- focus on that anymore. Um, or you can spin it. You can go, well, that, that didn't get anything, or that sucked. Or, and so... Or they'll, you know, the other guys uh, will make fun of me for how bad it was, and therefore turning that bad joke into something funny or at least uh, something entertaining. <laughs> so it's more challenging to actually work out a bit for stand up for me than it is to just improvise uh, right off the top of my head because you still, uh, you're either way, you're taking risks, but um, oftentimes the, the, uh, the, strikeouts or uh, <laughs> during the morning show quickly forgotten. Um, yeah, so uh, that's a, a very good question, DJ. James writes in, oh, this is very nice, James. He says, how has your elevated status, thank you very much, as a host uh, on the Bob and Tom show affected your stand-up performances? First off, bravo, James, for using the word affected, A-F-F-E-C-T-E-D, and not impacted. I hate that. Uh, maybe you know that, but uh, impacted should only be used when you're talking about teeth or meteors. Uh, effect, the reason I think impacted is used so often is because people don't know the difference between affect and effect. Um, it's it's simpler than you think. Uh, effect uh, with an E is a noun, so the special effects were great. Affect uh, is used as, uh, just the way he did. How has it affected or uh, so? The, I guess you could you could argue you could say. The affect causes the effect, um, or you can just use impact. So the <laughs> no, I think that made sense. Anyway, uh, how has your elevated status affected your stand-up performances? I'll tell you this: they um, have gotten both. Uh, they've gotten easier in in uh, some ways, and they've gotten more difficult in some ways. They've gotten easier in that. Audiences are now coming. Uh, 
a lot more often are coming to see me as opposed to just seeing a comedian. When, a, when an audience goes out to a, a comedy club and they don't know who the comedian is, um, they need to get to know them a little bit uh, from watching them and listening to them. And uh, if an audience already kind of knows who I am, they're going to probably appreciate more of my jokes because they know where I'm coming from more so than somebody that they just uh, that they're now meeting for the first time. So if I have a particularly silly or maybe even kind of a harsh joke, they know, hey, we know this guy. We can trust him. Um, he's being silly or he's being playfully harsh. You know, it's but if if somebody doesn't know me in the audience and I tell jokes like they go, well, this guy's just wacky or. Does he really think that's funny or, oh, he's mean? No. I mean, and also audiences that know me tend to be, uh, so so therefore they're kind of more, they're more generous. They're going to let me get away with more because they uh, ideally already think I'm funny. Otherwise they wouldn't be there. Um, and yeah, so they're going to, they're going to let me slide a, a bit more. Um, now, what's made it more difficult is... I get heckled way more, way more than I used to um, because, for the same reason. People know me, and they know what I respond to on the air, and they know uh, they feel like um, that we're friends, and they can just shout out and talk to me. So uh, it's still considered heckling, even though most of the time it's not negative. Um, it's usually a reference to the Bob and Tom show, or it's uh, – um, you know, they'll just yell out. I mean, sometimes it's negative, but it's not. So they'll yell, hey, fat ass or whatever, which is weird. But uh, they hear Tom do it. Uh, you know, he, granted, he usually does it in a more clever way than that. But he uh, and so, they, you know, they're just in on the they're just in on the joke and they want to be a part of it. But, yes, I get heckled a lot more than I used to. And uh what I do now is I try to embrace it. When you first start off a comedy, the heckler is your worst nightmare because they're interrupting you. They're not, you know, um, they can uh, look. Hecklers are difficult, whether they're uh, negative or positive. Um, and there are kind of uh, there are different types of hecklers. There's the uh, well, the heckler that doesn't like you, the guy that's going to yell out. Not funny, or you suck, or whatever. Um, you know, <laughs> there's uh, that's one type. The other type is are the hecklers who think they're helping you, um, and you'll get boy. Every comedian gets this where somebody will shout out, and uh, the comedian will um, respond, and it will get a very big laugh. And after the show, that heckler will come up and go, "Hey, I'm the one that yelled out. We sure, I sure made that funny for you, didn't I?" No, you didn't. You did not at all. Here's what you did. <laughs> I was bench pressing, and you threw 50 uh, extra pounds onto the bar as I was uh, bench pressing. And guess what? I lifted it up, and I kept bench pressing. So all you did was give me more work. You made it harder for me, but because I was able to do it, you think that you helped in some way. You didn't. I had to <laughs> I had to do the heavy lifting there. So uh please don't have ever have that um well, it's a, it's a fallacy. You didn't help. 
yes, it may have been the biggest laugh of the night, but it's because the comedian spun it into a into something funny. You interrupted them. <laughs> now, like I said, I I have grown to embrace. Um, oh, but this is probably a dangerous thing to say. Also, I'm telling you now, don't heckle. But I also say, hey, I've grown to embrace it. That doesn't mean I want you heckling. All right, do your best not to. But when it happens. I uh, try to look at it as an opportunity and not an obstacle anymore. And um, I'm trying to find uh, Ryan's question. Ryan wrote in asking, do you have a story of just destroying a heckler? And uh, I don't. I mean, I've definitely I've definitely done it, and I've done it successfully. Um, but here's what happens sometimes. When you're heckled, uh, and you go after the heckler, audiences are very, very fickle. They want to see you um, destroy the heckler, but only to a certain degree. They, uh, If you go too far, and, and you never know what this line is, you don't know until the audience shuts down on you. <laughs> so in other words, you don't know the, where the line is until you've crossed it, and it's kind of too late. So uh, at least that's how it is for me. So when when somebody heckles and you go after them, there is a point where you can go after them too much and the audience then goes, you know what, that's too much. Um, we're not on the comedian's side anymore. And they were never really on the heckler's side, but they will defend their own. And a heckler is part of the audience. And uh, you can get to a point where you've done too much. Now, what I try to do with, with some, some hecklers who just want the attention or they're just trying to have fun um, and they do think they're helping or whatever, I just talk to them a little bit and I try to ask them about themselves and what they're doing out, out that night or whatever. And I try, to, I try to find some jokes in there. And that's a lot of fun. That can be – it may not get the uh, rafter-shaking laughter or, or cheers that absolutely annihilating a heckler will get to a point, but um, – it's. I think it's really rewarding, and sometimes you get material that you can use later on in other shows uh, as well. Michael wrote in and wanted to know. Well, he he asked if I would talk about the infamous show in Toledo. It's often mentioned in uh, on the Bob and Tom show. Toledo is referenced all the time as sort of my Waterloo. Um, uh, and you know, Michael asks what exactly happened. Well, I'll tell you. I was uh, fairly new to doing road comedy, uh, meaning performing stand-up in in, uh, cities other than where I lived, and uh, I had just done my first Bob and Tom appearance, and um, it went pretty well. I was in, in there with Greg Warren, and we were on our way to Toledo. Uh, when we stopped in Indianapolis to do the uh, Bob and Tom show. Um, yeah, I may have a little bit of the time. It may have been like the next week we were doing Toledo. Anyway, I had just come off a pretty good first uh, appearance on the on the Bob and Tom show and was now going to open for Greg Warren in Toledo. Uh, I was going to do 25 minutes um, after the MC and before him. So we get there, and my gosh, the club is beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful comedy clubs there is, and it's it's connected to, at the time at least, it was connected to a Bonefish Grill. 
which is a wonderful restaurant, and the comedians could eat for free. It's like, oh my gosh. And the hotel was gorgeous and super nice, and it was directly across from, uh, and I think it still is directly across from the uh, the club. So all you had to do was walk out of your room and cross the street and walk up to the comedy club, and you were there. There was no driving. It was just a perfect setup. It's like, this is great. It had a, a wonderful staff and a terrific manager and a terrific uh, green room and Oh man, and the and the uh, Greg Warren uh, is a club draw, and so he these shows were sold out. Like this is going to be an awesome weekend, just a lot of fun and uh, uh, very comfortable. And uh, so, and the MC is a guy who uh, I really liked. His name was Chili Chalice. He he unfortunately has has passed away, but he uh, was a super charming, likable uh, uh, comedy veteran. And he was emceeing the week, and he was from the area. So he went up and would do 15 minutes of just killer local material that uh, the audiences just ate up. I mean, he murdered. And uh, so I was excited. Like, oh, my gosh, this crowd is so hot. This was a Thursday night, the, the first shows. And uh, so I go, I go up. Now, I thought uh, I had a couple silly jokes up front. Uh, because I thought it would be a good idea to show the audience, hey, this is a silly, fun-loving guy. Um, uh, we, we can we can have fun with this dude. He's not taking himself too seriously. He just wants to be, well, <laughs> forgetting that the audience, uh, you know, kind of getting back to the audience has no idea who I am, so they have to know if they can trust me or not. They they didn't know if they could trust me. So I would I, I one of my first jokes was like, yeah. I, uh, earlier today, I was at Hardee's and I asked the girl, uh, "Are you working hard or Hardee's working?" And uh, now that's a very silly joke that you might laugh at because you know who I am. And Josh, you're just being stupid. Why would you ever, you know? Well, I was. The audience thought I was trying to sell that as like, "Isn't that a great joke?" <laughs> when my point was kind of like, "No, that's a bad joke." But you're a silly guy, and oh, we can learn to appreciate. So uh, my opening wasn't strong. Well, I get past those, so I'm already in kind of a hole, and I get to what is my better material, and that's just, I mean, getting nothing, nothing at all. And uh, I go on to bomb for 25 minutes. I just uh, bomb, which is, uh, you know, no one's laughing. Uh, People are sitting there awkwardly. Now, I've been told, and I did see this, but that the Toledo Funny Bone can be tough for middles, which is the... What I was, I was the feature actor or, or a middle because the food is coming out during, typically during the feature set. So as I'm doing my jokes, uh, servers are bringing burgers and steaks and stuff to tables. And so there's a little bit of chatter with that. And then, then they're busy eating. They want to eat their food hot. And so they're uh, taking bites. And they're not really laughing out loud. They're eating. So they're going to be a little quieter during a feature set. Well, that doesn't mean that there should be no laughter because <laughs> uh, that's certainly what I got, though. Just no, no laughter at all. And I and I remember uh, thinking, oh, man, I hope things go better for Greg. And of course they did. He went up and he killed. They loved him. So uh, they just didn't care for me on Thursday night. Like, ah, man, bummed out or whatever. So the next day, Greg and I, uh, we're at lunch or we're getting coffee or whatever, and he is helping me with my set. He goes, hey, maybe we should move this joke here and that joke there. And tonight, why don't you go ahead and just do 20 minutes and uh, for both shows. I'll tell the manager um, to save face for you a little bit. I'll tell the manager I want to work on some new stuff and I need a little more time, so can we cut Josh down? And 
by the way, this club is booked by arguably the top uh, booker, at least in the Midwest, if not all over the country. Um, you know, a, a comedy booker that books like 14 clubs, or at the time it was that. And uh, if you did well, you got to get on his list of guys that he would book uh, for 14 clubs. <laughs> and, and I was not yet on this guy's list. Greg brought me there <laughs> uh, with this dude's permission, and uh, he was nice enough to let me go. So there's that added pressure to this to this weekend as well. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I'm down to 20 minutes, and I've worked. Uh, I've changed my setup a little bit. And that first show Friday night, I bomb just as hard. I mean, it's they love chili. He kills. I go up. Uh, crickets and Greg goes up and kills. These guys are annihilating and I cannot do anything right. I'm just, I'm just not doing well. And that happens again, the second show Friday and uh, Saturday rolls around and Greg goes, why don't we, why don't we bring you down to 15 minutes? (laughs) And uh, uh, you know, just do, do, do 15. You've got a a decent 15 here. Some of that uh, that extra 10 that you were doing, uh, some of it is a hit and miss and is a little fatty. Just do this 15. And uh, Saturday first show, sold out crowd, hundreds of people. I just continue to eat. Uh, eat it. I, I, I'm. It's just awful. I'm bombing so hard, and I get what, what I still consider the worst heckle I've ever gotten. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and it wasn't necessarily even directed at me it was just the it was just a natural response for this gentleman to make i'm uh i tell a joke and i'm uh, i'm well uh, if i'm doing 15 minutes this was like at minute 10 so i'm right in the kind of smack dab uh you know I, i'm in the heart of my uh, my act and i tell a joke that normally does well by the way most of this material did well elsewhere and in fact it did well on the bob and tom show where my comedy heroes enjoyed it so i thought oh my gosh I just don't know what's happening here. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I tell a joke to silence. Every joke was getting silence. And the room is completely silent. And after like two seconds, I just hear this guy in the middle of the audience go, wow. And it was the worst heckle I've still got because he, this person, <laughs> uh, the, the wow meant so much. It meant... Uh, he couldn't believe how unfunny I was. He probably couldn't believe that I was still up there, <laughs> that I hadn't run off crying or 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 just given up or anything. And um, it was so it was such a loaded wild that it just it crushed me. And the Saturday second show was no better. I j- I just really really bombed. And uh, so that's that was five shows in a row. And I walked off stage. I didn't even stay to watch Greg. I walked right off stage after my set and across the street, and I went to bed in my hotel. And I just sat there going, what have I done? I've uh, recently quit my full-time job, and uh, I, I, have no, I, I have no business doing this. I don't know what's happening. And uh, Greg called me and I didn't after his set, and I didn't even answer. I just... <laughs> So Sunday, you know, we met up and he's like, are you all right? This is, uh, you know, he was being very, he was being nice, but he was also being, uh, you know, kind of a harsh coach. He was saying, hey, look, some of that stuff isn't working for a reason. It's not necessarily the audience. It's, it's not as funny as it could be and all this stuff. Uh, 
So it was just it was a tough, tough week. And finally, we had a Sunday show, and Greg goes, "Tonight, I want you to do ten minutes." <laughs> so he cut me down again, and I was doing ten minutes. And I went up, and it was a good show. I I got laughs, and um, I uh, it wasn't great, but it was it was it was good. And I and I made some changes that uh, Greg and I had worked on together, and they worked. And uh, I thought, okay, this this isn't um, going to be easy. This is not an easy job. This is this is a tough job, and. You know, I, I realized with with you know Greg and I had talked about it. It should be tough, shouldn't it? I mean, anything they say, anything worth doing. Uh, I, I don't know. There's some saying about how things should be tough, and so <laughs> or anything difficult is worth doing, or whatever the whatever it is. Do you know what I'm talking about? What is the saying? Do you remember? Jason doesn't remember either. Maybe I'm making it all up. I guess what I'm saying is it should be difficult, and uh, and. I should earn the right to do it by putting in the work. And um, I, I learned a lot that it was a tough, brutal weekend, and I've never been back. Um, it just hasn't worked out that way. I ended up getting uh, from other from later gigs, getting on the list of that of that booker and uh, working all of his clubs and um, doing pretty well. And he, that guy got, really, really helped me out a lot. And uh, um. I'll always be appreciative of that, and and uh, and I did get better as well, and I look forward to going back to Toledo. Now, if I go back to Toledo and bomb again, it's oh boy, that's gonna that's gonna cause some uh, some uh, <laughs> some issues. But uh, um, I do look forward to going back and uh, hopefully giving the audience a better time. I that's one of the things. I mean, yes, it hurt me. Because I wasn't being accepted by the audience. They didn't care at all for what I was saying. But it bothered me that I didn't show them a good time. Uh, that's always my goal in doing comedy. I, w- I want the audience to have a good time. It's not an adversarial position. It's not me versus them. It's We're all in this together. And I, and I want to show them a good time. And I was, I was just disappointed uh, that I couldn't. Um, and I was hurt that they, you know, again, my... Yeah, my feelings were hurt. My pride was hurt. Um, But uh, I always want to show the audience a good time. And real quick, um, boy, I'm just going through the stack here, making sure I didn't miss anything I kind of wanted to talk about this week. Um, Writing jokes, that's good. Yeah, boy, this has got to be exciting. Me me thumbing through my, my notes. Uh, you know what? Here's a quick uh, question I can answer for those of you who listen to the Bob and Tom show. Uh, Dave wants to know if we have any plans to finish the 69 song. Now, I'm going to give you a little peek behind the curtain here. A lot of you might not know what the 69 song is because it's something that often happens during what's called the local break. We're, uh, we broadcast um, – is this all f- fine to talk about? We broadcast uh, out of Indianapolis, uh, and when and we come back on the air in Indianapolis only – for a minute, 30 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever. And then we go to the uh, the national uh, part of things. So sometimes when uh, you hear us coming back from commercial, we're already laughing or somebody might be saying something. You go, what are they talking about? It's because we were laughing about something that happened in that Indianapolis section 
or uh, that was being discussed then. So um, oftentimes you're not missing anything. But anytime that the weather in Indianapolis is 69 degrees, Chick and I would very douchily uh, <laughs> hoot and holler and make noise. And uh, I would start singing the 69 song, which typically goes something like, what we do, babe, is you lay down and I lay down. And the joke is Tom always stops. He goes, all right, all right, that's enough, you child, you moron, that kind of thing. Well, Dave wants to know if we're actually going to finish the 69 song. And the answer is no, because, um, you know, he says it appears to irritate Tom. I think it would be great to uh, finish it and really bug him. Well, it bugs him enough, and uh, the joke to me is that we never get to finish the song. And and why should we? <laughs> It's it's uh, ridiculous. So um, I appreciate you wanting to hear a full length finished uh, version there, Dave. But uh, it's not good. The, the fun for me is getting cut off. I, uh, I like that. John asks, how are you and your comedian friends handling not being able to do stand up during this covid scare? It's tough. Uh, not not so much for me. I've got uh, the morning show. And my gosh, I uh, boy, I thank God every day that I do. Um, it scratches the creative itch and it keeps my lights on and, uh, man, oh man, I'm just so thankful to be working. A lot of my comedian friends are doing their best. They are doing zoom shows or they're, you know, working for uh, 25%, uh, capacity audiences and, um, you know, they're, they're doing what they can. So for the most part, they're doing they're doing okay. Uh, some of them are working other jobs during this, and it's 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 only going to uh, make uh, their comedy better because uh, when you have a job while you're being a comedian, you can relate more to an audience and uh, talk about different things. So um, it's tough. It's a very tough situation, but it's a uh, it's going to get better, and um, I think there'll be some really good comedy that comes out of it. Uh, Philip has has asked about the uh, connection between comedy and horror. He, you know, he mentions that Gilbert Gottfried is a big fan of horror, and other comedians are as well. Nick Griffin, um, Brian Posehn, uh, and you know, he says, "What's this about?" Essentially, he's, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Philip's question, but it's a really good question that, that I could spend 45 minutes talking about, but I don't think it would be particularly interesting to too many people, uh, because it's sort of niche, but I can tell you this, uh, a lot of good comedy and a lot of good horror come from overcoming adversity. Uh, they say, uh, the best comedy comes from pain. And, uh, in many ways that's true. Um, I know I got, uh, one of the reasons I probably got funny was uh, as a defense mechanism to be accepted, to deflect, um, you know, potential bullying or insults. That's a very common story with comedians. Um, others have had to, uh, you know, a lot of comedians you hear about talk, you hear talking about growing up poor or uh, growing up in broken homes or that kind of thing. So comedy does come from pain as a as a defense mechanism, and horror deals with similar adverse situations um horror and comedy are also they also elicit involuntary responses things scare you and uh you know you just feel scared you 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 can't necessarily control it things it's the same thing with laughter 
you find something funny and you laugh. You're, you don't decide, I'm going to laugh right now. Uh, something just makes you laugh. So there's a, there's probably some sort of physiological connection there as, as well. Um, but I think a lot of it just has to do with uh, both attract misfits. I, I guarantee if you were to talk to Gilbert Gottfried uh, as a kid when he was watching those Universal monster movies, he loved the monsters. He, he could relate uh, probably in, in a way to... Uh, Frankenstein's creation or, um, you know, anybody who's different uh, horror fans can sort of uh, uh, appreciate and uh, kind of root for, even though they're they're the bad guy. Uh, The same with comedy. It, um, you know, a a lot of misfits take part in comedy and um, it's it's you can find a community of uh, there of. Of well, you know, I don't want to. I don't want it to sound bleak, but of the damaged or, uh, um, you know, the, maybe a little bit of nihilism as well. Uh, yeah. So, and also people who like entertaining, they like listening responses from folks. Um, yeah, there's definitely definitely a a connection there. These have all been very, very good questions, and I thank you for sending them in. And uh, uh, feel free to send in other questions. Josh, what is it? Uh, That Josh Arnold podcast. Is it Josh podcast? It's Josh podcast at (laughs) bobandtom.com. I don't even know my own uh, email. Yeah, Josh podcast at at, uh, Bob and, oh my God. At bobandtom.com. I apologize for the hemming and hawing. Um, it uh, This hasn't been the smoothest one, has it? But uh, I appreciate you sticking with me. Finally, last question, is podcast related? Um, boy, oh boy. I, you know, I had these. Uh, Jason was in here. He watched me stack these up in an order that I could easily access, and I have messed it all up. Luke wants to know, he says, every podcaster I love has a great sign-off. What do you think yours will be? I don't know. I don't have a sign-off, do I? They just sort of end, and sometimes they end soprano style, (laughs) where it's just over. Um, But one will come. One will come. Uh, Again, I I want this thing to sort of be organic, and just uh, things will will come as, as they do, and we'll figure out what a great... Sign off will be. In the meantime, I do, of course, have something to work on for this week. Yes, bettering ourselves is a celebration. Hence this happy music. What a party. Man, oh man, thank you again for listening. Uh, There was, uh, if we were going to edit a podcast, it would be this one. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, things to work on. Well, this was uh, sent in as a suggestion, and I really like it. Um, I do not uh, remember the name of the person who sent it in, so uh, my bad. But I appreciate it nonetheless. This week, if and when you are out shopping, return the shopping cart to the corral, won't you? What are you doing? Why? The people who leave them between cars or um, haphazardly just outside of the store there... Come on, it only takes a few more steps to uh, take that cart and tuck it into the corral. And I find it satisfying. You know what I like to do? And uh, I like to sort of uh, see if I can 
push the cart, not only into the corral, but into the back of the cart that's there and see if it fits together. You know what I mean? See if it slides right in. And uh, guess what? If it doesn't um, and it kind of bounces halfway out of the corral, I fix it. All right. I'm not a, I'm not a savage. I don't uh, I don't just leave it. there. <laughs> I know some of you have kids and you're shopping with them and uh, it's, you know, you're trying to get them in the car and everything. And maybe you dropped uh, the milk and then your, your phone fell out of your pocket and you go, you know what? Enough of it. The corral or the uh, cart can stay where it is. Um, all right. But look, this week. Just try to put it back. Try to put it into the corral, all right? The grocery store workers, are uh, they're working hard. Uh, some might argue they're putting their lives in danger these days. Make it easy on them, okay? I think you'll feel better uh, it, when you put the, the shopping cart into the, <laughs> into the corral. <laughs> and uh, since we're still working on a sign-off, um, uh, you know, I got to come up with something, but uh, since we don't have one now, see ya.